So, verses <coughs> 42 and 44 from Matthew. Keep watch and be ready. Well, Advent is a time that we remember and celebrate the arrival of the Messiah. So, does it seem odd to you? It did to me at first that our readings for today seem more concerned with the end of the world. In those days, Israel had been waiting and watching for Messiah for hundreds of years. The religious leaders knew where it would happen. After all, they easily told Herod, but not when. The people were looking too. The first disciples found Jesus soon after he started his ministry. For them, as for us now, Messiah had arrived. So why this need for watching and waiting? Our readings are very short extracts taken from several long chapters. And it's why the reader, that's you and me, and the preacher today, that's me, need to be very careful not to lose the context and end up missing the point altogether. It's a bit like starting a new novel and reading only a few lines in the last chapter. Not very satisfying and not overly helpful. So when I find readings that start with therefore or because of or then do, uh, you think, let's draw back a bit. Let's have a look at the wider picture. And as we do, we see that this whole section runs from chapter 21 right through chapter 25. I'm not going to read it all. <laughs> Don't worry. I'll leave that for you to do later. It's homework. But please do read it all as one piece. I think you'll find it instructive. So this whole section in Matthew takes place in the week before Passover and the crucifixion. If we look at chapter 21 and verse 1, we see the preparations uh, for and the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And in chapter 26, which is a fair bit further on than our reading, we find that actually Passover was only two days away. So after his arrival in Jerusalem, which was a short period, Jesus taught in the temple. That's chapters 21 to 22. Uh, he then had a bit of a lengthy harangue at the failings of the religious leaders. That's chapter 23. To their faces, mind, in the temple, uh, went on about how they'd spent so much time tying themselves up in the mechanisms and minor details of the law and their own importance, selfishness and power, they'd actually failed to help people reach towards God, even blocking people from seeking God in the right ways, it seems. Read it. It's really strong stuff. Then, chapter 24, where we take our reading, starts at the beginning of that with, Jesus point, with, with the disciples pointing Jesus to the grandeur of the buildings, perhaps thinking of the greatness the stability, the endurance of Israel. At which point, Jesus gives a shocking prediction. Jerusalem will be completely destroyed. Jesus warns that there will be harsh times, persecution, deceivers, chaotic natural events ahead of this. He then leads into a summary of the end of the world. And this is followed in chapter 25 by a few key parables, giving advice and warnings. 
about keeping on doing good things, doing our duty, being properly prepared, treating each other well, and not falling into selfish, complacent ways. Poor, what a week so far. But they were in for more surprises by the end of the week. <clears throat> we won't be covering those. So now we see the wider scope of the passage. Can you see the wider section? The watchfulness is not about looking for Messiah, nor directly about the end of the world. Not just that, though. Sort of about it. The main aim is to get us looking at ourselves and our behaviour, each of us making sure we're doing what is right, doing our duty, and to keep doing this, to be ready for the end of the world. As chapter 21 to 23 implies, this is relevant to us as a whole church body as well. So, let's look at some key points from that wider text, now that we can see the context of our reading and the main purpose. What encouragement can we take away and what practical lessons can we learn? So firstly, and this is important, when the end of the world happens, you are most definitely not going to miss it. Everyone will see it. At the same time, everywhere. So, as Jesus said, if some deceiver says that it's happening in some far off place, somewhere, or perhaps it's already happened. Oh, whoops, unlucky you. Ignore them. They're wrong. Verse 10 in chapter 24 tells us that they are wrong, as Jesus says so. It will be huge for the end of the world. Everyone, Christian or not, will be there. If you look at uh, chapter 25 and verse 32, quite a long way further on, but it does give us that sense we find verse 32. All nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Everybody's going to be there. But let's go back to chapter 24, and we need to be a bit careful when reading through this. It's a bit tricky, and it's been analysed at great length by commentators as to the precise purpose and meaning of each of the phrases. It's quite a long description of seemingly the end of the world. So I'm going to have to summarise quite a bit. When reading this chapter, keep in mind that the disciples asked Jesus two questions. If we look at verse 3, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? That's the destruction of Jerusalem and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age so there's two questions being answered here and there's quite a bit of overlap different answers in some ways but similarity in others the first question Jesus answers from verse 4 to 28 it's mostly concerned with the destruction of Jerusalem and the events around that yeah wars nations fighting deceivers persecution earthquakes famine and then the eventual destruction of Jerusalem which did occur in AD 70 when pretty much nothing in the city was left standing the sacking of Jerusalem I think it's often referred to as a, as a term note that this also occurred within the lifetime of the this generation to quote Jesus that was mentioned in verse 34. It's 
less than 50 years after Jesus was crucified. So that this is a limited set of events is implied in verse 22. Let's find verse 22 and we'll see what I mean. Pray that your flight, uh, sorry, that's 20, 21, 2. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. So, we find that there's a period of fairly intense persecution and disaster. But from that, we find in verse 29, the quote, after those days... So there's something to follow. Now Jesus calls all of those events the birth pains, the starting. So again, they form a template, an idea of what the world is going to be like from that point on. Yes, wars, nations fighting, etc. We can keep those then as a background that will continue until the end of the world. So there's a, then a transition from about verse 27. Jesus moves on to answering the second question, the signs of the end. And these, very grand, goodness me, sun and moon darkened, stars falling, angels, loud trumpet calls, son of man appearing in the clouds of heaven. You're not going to miss that. Certainly not going to be missed at all. But verse 30 implies not everyone's going to be happy that that's happening. Jesus does say, as we read in verse 32, everyone will be gathered to him for judgment. No one will be left out. So secondly, when we get to the section that was read for us, we hear that the end will be sudden and for most people unexpected and definitely final. There will be no time to prepare if we aren't ready. Now, some have focused on verses 40, 41 as mechanism, i.e. it's called the rapture, with people disappearing as a sort of preliminary hint that the end is occurring. Well, maybe so, but the words here are intended much more to emphasize the suddenness of the end when it comes. It's happening rather than any particular sequence leading up to it. So you read mentioning Noah, the suddenness of the start of the flood, the sealing of the door to the ark, Go back and read the story of Noah in more detail, if you like. The Lord sealed the entrances to the ark, not Noah. So there was a definite point at which everything was suddenly no longer available to those around. Now, the words about the thief, which we have here as well. It's not advice to you about burglary, particularly, but it suggests the continuous alertness that we should have to our own condition. Make sure we are prepared. There's not going to be that last-minute chance of seeing it because the end will be swift. As Jesus says, like lightning in a storm. If we look at uh, verse 27, I think it's in chapter 24. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So, not going to be a long lead-up. At that point, any chances to repent or get ready or feel that you can get yourself sort of briefed will be gone. So thirdly, until the end, 
Life goes on as normal. We will eat, drink, marry, work, pay our taxes, and generally do everything humans do in the general dull routine of every day. This is what was said in our reading about the uh, times around Noah. Everyone just carried on as normal, and then suddenly everything changed. Now these things, of course, are not sinful in themselves, per se. But nothing notes, nothing about the type the number, intensity of all the disruptive events around us are going to give us any indication as to when this will happen. Now, Jesus said, no one knows when, even he didn't know. It might be today, tomorrow, next year. So if anyone trying to predict it from a, a contrived interpretation of the text or from the specific events, they're going to be wasting their time and can be ignored. Many have already tried and failed, and it seems we're still here. Think back to the traffic light. Nothing in particular was going to lead up to it. Cars going by, maybe not, maybe, maybe not. In the case for the one in the village, not. So, earthquakes, wars, rumours of wars, famines, to which we could add hurricanes, storms, heat waves, volcanic eruptions, tsunamis, and all sorts of other things. These are a reminder that there will be an end. They keep us alert and striving to be ready. So, now that we sort of set out, I hope, and understood the focus and the, the, the context, particularly the words that we were looking at, keep watch, be ready, what can we actually do to help us in our preparation? Well, Jesus gives us four parables, almost immediately gave the disciples four parables, they are there for us as well, and I think those can be used pretty much as check sheets, four check sheets. If you look through those parables that follow on, uh, I've recommend you do indeed study them you get the sudden return of the master well ask yourself have I given up doing my duty properly have I lost attention have I got into sloppy and lazy ways am I hoping I'll have a quick five minutes to redeem all of that before it actually gets critical the parable of the uh, ten virgins the oil and the lamps am I properly prepared for the days that I've been given. Am I equipped well? Do I have the right tools at my disposal? Am I, am I making use of them? Then the next one along, which was bags of gold, the talents, developing the amount of investment it's, it's written as, one of whom was the lazy, wicked servant. Okay, have you been developing the skills and gifts and abilities you've been given? Are you growing in knowledge and practice of good ways? And then the last one, the last parable, which was again about the separation at the very end. Have I been giving physical aid? Do I help those who are in need? Food, drink, care to the hungry, the thirsty, the imprisoned. Am I caring and loving others as I should as a Christian person? Am I concerned for their needs, body, mind, and soul? Now, when the reading that we had from the letter uh, to the Romans of Apostle Paul, which is our second reading now, there he gives a summary of how to go about working this out for ourselves. Applying the commandments, especially. Love God and love each other as ourselves, particularly comes up in 
He asks us to turn away from, from bad ways. He mentioned the great list of them. That's not an exhaustive list. There are many more. Clothe ourselves to and be holy, to live by bi biblical principles. Now, he uses the term armor. He does it in Ephesians as well, putting on the armor of God. And I think he couches that in, in terms, military-type terms, because when you think about it, a soldier puts in the maximum effort. He doesn't give up, has a definite aim, obeys the rules, and uses effective equipment dedicated to the task. So think of it, yes, we're on a mission to ourselves in this case, preparing ourselves. Now as a church, this applies to us as a group as well, because non-Christians' attention is drawn by our actions. Remember the quote in Acts, sure familiar to all, people say, see how they love each other. That was definite act seen by the population and attractive. So we ask ourselves, are we watching ourselves as a church, as members? Are we joining in the activities with our skills? Are we developing that? Using our knowledge and experience, teaching each other, contributing our proper tithing to cover the physical needs the church comes across, encouraging and caring for each other to make a vibrant church. Are we putting in the effort and then showing through that the gospel news to the people around us. Certainly where the opportunity arise, when possible, telling them about Jesus and warning them of the coming end. Now, Noah spent about 100 years doing that. I hope we're not so easily discouraged. He didn't get much out of it in the end. It wasn't the point. Numbers weren't the game. So now here's an experiment. <laughs> I like experiments. We can learn a lot from experiments. Now here's one to take away for you. I went through it and I thought, hmm, interesting. So I hope I'm not being too harsh. But take chapter 23. We didn't read it, but I hope you will. It's Jesus having a good harangue at the religious leaders of the day and their failings and going on at them for their misdirected efforts and focus. So instead, when you read it, instead of teachers of the law and Pharisees, why don't we substitute members of the church and ministries? Is there anything then that jumps out, hitting the conscience? Would we pass that test? Would we really be due a similar harangue from Jesus? I'm sure we wouldn't like to receive such. And uh, if you're unsure about uh, whether that's worth doing, go to Revelation 3. There are two letters there to the churches of Sardis and Laodicea. I'm sure we wouldn't want those dropping through the post either because uh, they're fairly uh, having a bit of a go at us, uh, certainly at those churches. So we saw earlier that it's quite hard to keep watching Always be alert, especially when you don't know for how long, an indeterminate period. We, as humans, lose focus and attention quite easily. So thank you for staying awake. Thank you for still being with me and listening. Uh, there's not much more to go, honest. The end of the world seems distant. 
It could happen this afternoon, tomorrow, next week, maybe not for another thousand years. How about keeping attentive then? Try it for just one day. Can we do that? We're told in scriptures to take one day at a time, not to worry about tomorrow and what it will bring. Perhaps that does make life a more manageable task. So how about we try that? Use this Advent time, one day at a time. Compare ourselves to scripture, examine our progress. Perhaps at the end of each day, review how you did. Compare it with what Jesus teaches in the parables. Compare with what the Apostle Paul teaches in his letters. Now he lived, he wrote quite a lot of them. They're well worth going through. And the rest of Scripture too. Those personalities, the examples that, of interaction between God and man and individuals throughout the Old Testament, all over all time. Then, after a good sleep, do the same again. Tomorrow, another day. In its turn, it's a fresh new day, a sort of start again. Remember, Jesus promised to be with us by the Spirit until the end of the age. So if you haven't yet made a start, sought out Jesus, begun the preparations, I urge you to do so now. Remember the suddenness and the finality spoken of in this chapter. After all, we only have to ask that help. So, when you get home, this is your homework. I hope you'll read the whole section from chapters 21 through 25. Treating it, yeah, it is for the disciples, the apostles of the time, and for us now, it's personal instruction, guidance, and warnings from Jesus. Use it to become watchful, more aware of what you do and how you do it. Because as Jesus says in verse 46, it will be good if we are found to have been faithful when the end comes. So perhaps there is something to being alert after all. 